0: Good evening, evening. (laughs) hope everybody's had a good week so far, Um, we're going to continue in Jude Um, but before we do, let's see, Uh, announcements, I assume those little papers are still back here where people can update their phone numbers and all that, if you haven't taken a look at that, double check it. and, do you need, yeah, okay, let's hear it. So, um, the parade starts at 4 o'clock on Saturday. But not really. I haven't been able to have space days before because her mom's not good. So um, You haven't been able to do what? Laura Pines is in charge of it, Anderson. Okay. And her mom's not good this week, oh. so she hasn't been able to return my calls. Okay. Well, you'll, you'll have Allison do it, but yeah. <laughs> we usually meet at the, at the uh, McCray parking lot. Behind McCrae's. Okay. All right. I'm just giving myself a reminder here. By myself, I mean my wife. Um, all right. And then we have, uh, what is today? Today. So not not this Saturday, but next we'll have our men's breakfast at Burger Shack at 8 a.m. and then we'll come back here and um, work on our project, building the stable. Um, for the December 15th and 16th. That's my birthday, and then Susanna's birthday. Did y'all know that? December 15th and 16th for our living nativity. Um, All right, that's all I'll mention on that. What prayer requests would you guys like to mention, remind us of, updates, so forth? else? Anybody else? That's a good thing um, I mentioned the the Stokes Chris uh, Christine and Laban uh, Christine's been under the weather and Laban's best friend passed away last week <laughs> remember them um, remember uh, Rachel McIntyre family Harold Thompson family there was another one um, Belinda McNeil family um, I don't know exact that's somebody to Carol Lisk um, do, I don't do y'all know Linda McNeil Cousin. A cousin. That's right, Smith. I did not have his last name. Jerry Smith from the and Linda, our and okay. Yeah, I remember Jerry Smith? He's <laughs> he's had a time, hasn't he? <laughs> have surgery and then it go wrong and have to do it again. Um, remember Israel and y'all keep uh, Carol Beeman in your prayers. She's she's had some tough times. Um, and let's see. That's all I can think of. She, uh, Sheila Baucom. Um Oh, I do have Jerry Smith on here. I've got him on here twice. All right. Uh, what other prayer requests? kind. Kine. Uh, uh, Karen mentioned uh, Laurel's mother, and her name is Cla- Claudine Kine. Uh, they put her on morphine a couple days ago. Okay. <laughs> Say that last name. Anybody else? Remember my brother Frank. Okay. Just remember Frank Richardson. Remember She's not too about it. Yeah. Kate. Well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we we first and foremost, we come to you giving you thanks, knowing that you are completely and totally sovereign. And Lord, that you have not abdicated your throne and that you watch down on all things. And uh, Lord, that you are still completely and totally in charge. And so, God, we come to you giving you thanks for every good thing that you do for us. We thank you most of all for Christ Jesus. And uh, Lord, we just... I want to come to you now with these many burdens uh, that are in our community, that are in our church, uh, many of them uh, family and friends. And Lord, you know even the ones that have not been mentioned. Uh, but Lord, there are many on here that are uh, going through trials, sicknesses, and uh, some that have experienced uh, terrible accidents. And then those that are going through the heartache of losing a loved one. And uh, Lord, in all of these things, uh, for all of these individuals that we have named, Uh, God, we just pray that your hand be upon them. Lord, that your presence be felt among them, uh, that comfort be given where it's needed, Lord, healing if it be according to your perfect will. But in all these things, uh, Lord, that you would make yourself known, that you would draw people to yourself, and, uh, Lord, that you would be glorified in all things. We do want to ask, Lord, that you would watch over our church. And, uh, Lord, uh, we're a church made up of families. And uh, we are all imperfect in our own ways. And God, we just pray that you would continue to lead us as your word promises that you will. That you would continue to refine us. And uh, Lord, just help us to live the lives that you've called us to. We ask, Lord, that you would protect the families of this church. That you would keep us safe. Uh, Lord, that you would keep us on the narrow path. And uh, Lord, that we would be a a shining light in our community for you. We ask, God, that you'd be with us in our Bible study tonight. Uh, Lord, that it would be a good reminder to us and the responsibility that that befalls us as Christians. And Lord, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So I think I lied to y'all about our Jude series. It's probably going to take more than... It fits neatly into six passages or six sections. But I don't think we're going to get through... um, What is this, our second section? I don't think we're going to get through it Um, all in one go. In fact, I'm not even going to try because as I looked at it and just the sheer number, there's so much Old Testament reference here. Jude speaks of the Old Testament as if you know it like the back of your hand. And guess what? You don't. (laughs) We don't. Uh, We don't know the Bible as well as we should. And so we're going to take some time to review it. But I still want to read this section. Um, I have called this section against their own nature. And this, uh, this is Jude verses 3 through 4. It's just two verses. Um, is that true? Is it just two verses? It's amazing what Jude packs into just a little bit. But there are three examples from the Old Testament that Jude uses for our learning. And again, Jude is making a point, and while the theme of Jude is con- con- contend for the faith you need to realize that first and foremost, you need to do that for yourself. It's not about defending the faith against other people. It's about defending the faith for yourself and making sure that you do the right thing. And I think you'll see that theme come out. Um, but I want to read these two verses, and I want you to uh, recognize... Uh, I, okay, yeah, I lied to you about the, about the verses. Let's, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to get those glasses soon. <laughs> Um, let's begin reading in verse 3. Uh, we read first, verse 3 last time, and verse 3 and 4. That was our section last time. So today is 5, 6, and 7. Now listen to the three things, and I'll point them out. He says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, now this is the first one, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. That's example one. And then example two is, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then the third example, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing A punishment of eternal fire. So right here we have three scary examples. And by the way, I think it's meant to be shocking. And uh, but by the way, let me just mention that I believe there's a common theme among these three groups. And when I say these three groups, first is Israel after being rescued out of Egypt. Number two are the angels that sinned. And we'll get into that in more detail than we probably should. And we're going to save that until next time uh, because it is just, it's a lot. Um, and it probably deserves its own session. And then the last group is Sodom and Gomorrah. And the three, the, the three groups, the thing they have in common is, is that they all knew better. Every single one of them are without excuse. And I, I'll just put it this way before we really dig into it. Israel had seen the hand of God move in a mighty way. And it says here that Jesus destroyed them even after saving them because of their unbelief. Do you all remember uh, the faithing in Jesus' sermon? When he says that they did not believe, what he means is they would not act out a life of faith. They wouldn't do what God told them because they didn't trust God. And they had no reason not to trust God. And so they should have known better. Now, the angels, that one's a bit more obvious Um, The angels, they see things that we don't see. They existed before the foundation of the world, direct creations of the Almighty, and they have stood in His very throne room in heaven, ministering to Him night and day. And yet they sinned against Him. They knew better. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, this one may be a little bit less obvious, but if you were to break that down and look at a biblical timeline, I'll remind you, that at the time when Sodom and Gomorrah is overthrown, that it says that the Lord... You remember Abraham is sitting in the doorway of his tent, and he looks far off, and it says he sees three men coming. And as you read the narrative, you find out that one of them is the Lord. And so this is a pre-incarnate, this is what we call a Christophany. It is the Lord having come to earth with two angels, and two of those angels stayed behind. They worked in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about. And by the way, there were five cities, and the Lord destroyed four of the five cities. We'll get into all that. Most of the time, people don't point that out, but I think it's important. Um, But Abram, this was during Abram's day, and Sodom and Gomorrah had fallen into such sin that the Lord said that he had heard the cry of their sin, and he would go down to see if it was so... And that there were still people walking the earth... One generation. In fact, uh, Shem was still alive, one of Noah's descendants. So it, has, it was one generation removed from God having to destroy the earth, and yet people had fallen into such wickedness that God had to rain down brimstone and fire. And it says here, by the way, that that fire was not eternal, but it says that they are undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we don't have to guess what happened to those at Sodom and Gomorrah. So... T- when I say that this is against their own nature, it says in Sodom and Gomorrah that they went after strange flesh. It's not natural. It was against their nature. We will see when we go through the uh, what the angels did, that what they did was went after strange flesh. They did that which was unnatural. It was against their nature. And I'm going to suggest that for Israel, a people that had seen God's hand move in a supernatural, mighty way, that they were so completely without excuse that to... Disobey God was against their very nature. By the way, I'm going to say the same is true of a New Testament Christian today. If you know Christ and you have seen Christ move in your life and yet you will not step out in faith, it is against your nature. And that's what Jude is warning us against. Now, I'm going to start. I hold to the old-timey Christian doctrine that if you're saved, you're saved. And so when we talk about Israel... And how it it says here, I want to read it again. I love the way it's worded here. Um, It says that Jesus, it doesn't say just the Lord, which is what we typically see of the Old Testament, but Jude, reading the Old Testament Christologically as he should and as any good preacher today should, he says that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Um, I don't think that means that they lost their salvation. But it does mean that they lost some reward. When we lose rewards, it can be in this life or it can be in the next. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want to remind you what it says in John chapter 10. And hopefully you will be comforted by this. Not ever use it as an excuse to sin. But it's, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. You know what the good news is? You're someone. That means even you can't snatch yourself out of the salvific hands of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at, of these three things, Israel, the angels, and the five-city compact of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, uh, Zeboam, and then the little city, Zoar. Um, of those, we will look at Israel today. And uh, again, this, these warnings are here functionally. But the function is not to scare you into thinking that you can lose your salvation. I don't think that that's the point. But I think some of the verses... and Has anybody here ever heard somebody say, you can lose your salvation, and they'll flip to some Bible verse? Um, Maybe they'll read you... uh, The famous one is from Hebrews, uh, where it says that... um, well, I can paraphrase it. I can't quote it. But basically it says that if, if you know the Lord and then you leave, you cannot be renewed to repentance because to do so would be to crucify the Lord afresh. That's, and so many times that's the favorite verse that people say, well, see, if you leave. But I want to remind you that what it says in 1 John to me is very clear. In 1 John he says that those who have gone out from us, that is people who left the church and said, oh, I don't believe that anymore it says that they were never among us. They weren't one of us. They weren't ever really saved to begin with. But I do believe that some of these verses and some of these passages function as a way of keeping us on our toes, keeping our guard up. And so I believe that that's what we see here um, today in this passage. And we want to look at this example of Israel delivered. Uh, The first thing I want to point out that Jude says here... and by the way, I think he's, he's making a play here. Remember what I said that they all knew better? Jude says, although you once fully knew it. And so he's talking to the church. By the way, that should scare you a little bit right there. He's talking to the church and he's warning them about things like not living a life of faith, doing things that are unnatural. He compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Hopefully, we wouldn't have to give a sermon like that in the church. But Jude evidently thought that it was appropriate. And the reason is, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't wake up one day and everybody in the city say, you know what? Let's do that which is completely unnatural and unseemly. Somewhere along the way, somebody did something and they dabbled and, it, and they encouraged it and it drifted and it looked a lot like American culture today. They started approving of it. They started endorsing it. They started advertising it and they started pushing it. Now look, I wasn't there. But I promise you that that's how it happened. It wasn't like they all woke up one day and said, let's do that which makes no sense whatsoever. So he says, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Again, that who did not believe really means who did not have faith enough to obey. It takes faith to obey. Um, There are a lot of uh, Old Testament mess-ups by Israel. And I want to remind you, that Paul says in the New Testament, he says these things happen to Israel as, in the King James it says, as in samples for us. As examples for us. Now many times a preacher will take the pulpit and he will just beat Israel into the ground for all the things that they did wrong. And if he does that, the preacher is not preaching the way he's supposed to. You know what he's supposed to say? We're just like them. We do the same things that they do unsatisfied, complain, murmur, grumble, don't trust God, disobey. That's what the preacher's supposed to say. And so we're going to look at some of these mess-ups that they have. And I'm going to turn back to Exodus. By the way, uh, I attempted to cover all of Exodus today, and I didn't make it. It's about a three-hour read, and uh, it, it would be good to read it front to back without really taking a break. Um, I got most of the way through it. Um, but you can't just do Exodus. You've got to do Numbers too. Um, but anyway, let's look at a few of these. And I want to remind you that the first time that Israel shows unbelief is before they ever pass through the Red Sea. Do you all remember this? Um, did I put the scriptures? Yes, yeah. so it would be in Exodus 14. And so in Exodus 14, by the way, you've got to set this up. Because I, I, can't, I can't wag my finger at them if I don't remind you that they have seen the plagues of Egypt. They've already seen God's hand move in an, a mighty way, a supernatural way. So supernatural that God said to Moses, When you do these things, they will know that I am the Lord. So there was no excuse. And yet, <clears throat> they get out there. Oh, here it is. It says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. But we look in 14, 11, and 12. And they said to Moses, this is the people of Israel, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Haven't even crossed the Red Sea yet. But they've seen God's hand move. They know that the message is, let my people go. Deliverance is coming. But you know what God does to punish them? Absolutely nothing. He doesn't punish them. He opens up the sea. He lets them go through on dry ground. He drowns Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And then you flip over to the next chapter in Exodus 15 verse 24. And they're at the place called Mara. Uh, and in verse 24 it says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it. Has somebody got the King James in front of you? What does it say? It showed him a what? tree. It just says a tree. It doesn't say what kind of tree. It says the Lord showed him a tree. Anyway, it shows him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water becomes sweet. There the Lord made for them, well, uh, long story short, the water was bitter, and they couldn't drink the water, and so instead, we do this too now, think about this, you've just been through something, God's just got you out of it, and you get to the next little thing that you stub your toe on, and you think, oh, why does this happen to me? That's what they're doing. That's the same thing that we do. Oh, it's always one thing after another. I remember my daddy telling me one time, I was doing this Israel thing, and I was complaining about something. He said, that's the way life is. It's just one thing after another. I thought, God, we're a pitiful bunch of people, aren't we? And if you go through life that way, that's exactly how it'll be. One thing after another. Uh, the The problem is not the journey. The problem is us. The problem is how we look at the journey. Yeah, bad stuff does happen. And it, it is a breath of fresh air when you get to see somebody handle bad things in a good way. Uh, by the way, Christian, do it all the time. You, you'll be helping other Christians, and you'll be helping lost people. Uh, you'll be shining light on Jesus Christ as you do it. But anyway, so they get to the bitter water, and once again, it's like it's the end. God gets them out. You know what he does to punish them? Nothing. Nothing. It's amazing. I don't know if I'm that kind. I'll let y'all ask my children when they walk out. But that's after showing them all this that he can do, his his power. They've complained once. We don't trust him. I'm going to let that go. Now they've complained twice. I'm going to let that go. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they were thirsty. Now they're hungry. But look, God has just showed them that he can provide. Didn't have water to drink. You did have water. It was bad water. God made it sweet. And now they're hungry. And we're going to die. And our kids are going to die. And all of our animals are going to die. What are we going to do? But guess what? God provides. And do you know what he does to punish them? Nothing. Not yet. He's being very patient. And uh, by the way, he sends sends manna. I'm not going to get into the manna. I hope you know the story. Um, I don't really fully know what manna is. Um, I think it says that it's uh, like coriander seed and sweet like honey. Uh, But some type of bread he sends in quail. They collected manna in the morning, but it wouldn't keep He'd give them just enough for the day, unless it was Saturday. And then it would supernaturally last, or excuse me, Friday. Their Sabbath is Saturday, remember. Uh, And then it would keep, and so God provides for them both meat and bread, and he's given them water. By the way, uh, the water is not over. And uh, just to remind you, it's in Exodus 17, 2 and 3, when they go. And this is the uh, time where Moses strikes the rock. Um, But it says they were at Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord. I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> this Moses was quite a fella. He was always stuck between them and God, and he got the bad end of the thing, and he always, he would intercede on behalf of Israel. Now look, I promise you, we might even read it. There were times where he couldn't stand them, and he would say, God, why do I have to put up with this people? But he loved Israel. In fact, when God was going to wipe them out, he said, don't do it, Lord. Have mercy on them. And by the way, God did. But anyway, so we have the water and Uh, Of course, the Lord tells him, I'll stand before you on the rock and strike the rock. And basically, God supernaturally provides a spring of water flowing up. And of course, I believe we see that in the New Testament where Christ says that he will be like a fountain flowing, springing up um, inside the heart of the believer. We we have the golden calf incident in Exodus chapter 32. And I'm not going to recount that one. Hopefully... You got a full dose of that in Sunday school all of your life. Uh, But you know the story that Moses went up to get the law and uh, they had taken of the jewelry and made the golden calf and they had engaged in idolatry. And guess what? They got punished this time. And that's the way it should be. And so I want to suggest to you that a new Christian, when they come to a saving faith in Christ, that Christ is a little more patient with them. They're new. But the longer that you walk with the Lord, the more that is expected of you. All right, so after that, we have them complaining at uh, Tabara. That's in Numbers 11. Then we have them complaining over lack of food uh, again in Numbers 11. And then the one that I want to go to, this is the, by the way, many times, most of the time, there's a list of 10 times that they grumbled. But if you want to get real nuanced with it, you can actually break it down to about 14 times. But... um. If you want to flip over to jo- or excuse me, Numbers 14, I want to remind you of the last time. And I think this one is instructive because remember what Jude said, that he destroyed them. Now look, what, the word destroyed has manifold meaning in the scriptures. Um, in fact, sometimes the word destroyed has re- is, is the word that's used to those that are sent to everlasting punishment, to hell, if you will. Sometimes it just means that uh, something is done away with. Here... I believe it refers specifically to Israel not getting to enter into the promised land. They had to die in the wilderness. But God didn't just come in and kill them right away. Um, but rather, He took their inheritance, the thing that He promised them, and then he, or that He was supposed to give them. And by the way, God did tell them, You walk in my ways, and I will bless you. You disobey, and there will be cursings. Um, but in this wonderful episode in Numbers Uh, 14. I'll read 1 through 4 here. Uh, By the way, let me just remind you that the 12 spies were sent in and Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12, they came back with a good report. They were like, man, the land is awesome. By the way, we're going to talk about the land Sunday morning, maybe not this Sunday, one of these Sunday mornings. um, And we'll get more specific on that. But let me just put it this way. It was always God's plan that this be Israel's land. But at the time, it is inhabited by the enemies of God. Nevertheless, and I say the enemies of God, it's the Sodom and Gomorrah type. In fact, Sodom and Gomorrah was in the boundary land of what we call Canaan land, of all these tribes. And it is the best land. It's the land that flowed with milk and honey. It's so good, that's how it's described. It says that they came out with clusters of grapes that were so big they had to carry them on their shoulders with a stave. And so... Joshua and Caleb saw all that was good about the land knowing the promise that God had given them and they were like yes we're going to go in there we're going to take them that's the American way of putting it the other 10 they said we're like grasshoppers in their sight the people are mightier than we are we can't take them if we go in there our children will be a prey for them use their kids as an excuse parents and they said let's not do it and then 14, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. Now look, ten people started this. And this is the way it goes in real life. Sometimes of that ten, somebody said it first. Somebody went in there and said, Oh my goodness, do you see the size of these people? Do you see how strong they are? Somebody showed a lack of faith first. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh my gosh. God should have sent them back. But you know what? You know how many of them he sent back to Egypt? Not one. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So look, they just fired their pastor. (laughs) They said, we're going to get a new guy that doesn't want to do this crazy stuff. We're going to take the road right back to Egypt with our new leader. And we're not going to face these giants. We're not going to have the good land that God promised for us. I don't know how they were going to get through the Red Sea the second time. Uh, But look, this is cowardice in Christian living. Now look, what you're supposed to see as a New Testament Christian is sometimes God leads you into a situation where it looks like the odds are against you, where it looks insurmountable. But if God has led you to it, then God is going to lead you through it, and your job is to keep on marching. Remember, this is is an army type thing. We live a life of warfare, Christian warfare, spiritual warfare, but we're to keep on marching. But the people didn't do it. And so God... He he judges them. And uh, the short version is, I'm going to give you what you want. You don't get the promised land. And he tells them that their carcasses will fall in the wilderness. And this trip, which is like an 11-day trip or a 14-day trip, turns into 38 years because they wouldn't follow God. And there's some some lessons to learn from this. And I I just want to remind you, if you look at this from the... Israel Grumbled against God, and God was gracious and merciful. And so they go down the road a little bit, and they grumble against God, and He's gracious and merciful. And sometimes God will do that for you. But after you've been walking with Him long enough, and after you know enough, there are times where there is a no turning back. There are times where you do the right thing, or you miss out on something for life. Or you turn aside and you do something that you're not supposed to do, and you pay the price for that for life. And it should be that serious. It should scare you a little bit. Um, And, you know, it could be... Oh, there's so many examples I could give. There's bad examples um, of Christians that know God, that know His will, and then they step out on their wife, and there's no fixing it. And they want to know why. Well, it's because they, they made a choice and they, they ruined their marriage. I'll just put it simply. And now look, sometimes forgiveness can be found, but sometimes it cannot. And so there's no going back. Or uh, I'm reminded of a story about a man that was called to preach, but he'd just spent a bunch of money and so he told God no. And guess what? He never made a preacher. And that was his legacy to himself anyway, is I was supposed to be a preacher but I never did it because I had just spent all my money and uh, I I didn't want to step out on faith and trust that God would provide. All kinds of little things. Um, But I think Jude is using Israel as an example. And the first thing he's trying to tell us is, you know better. You're without excuse. Don't take for granted that there won't be negative consequences if you don't follow God. Don't depart. By the way, Jude, in its broader context of contending for the faith, let me say it this way don't compromise your faith. There are people that add things to the Christian scriptures, there are people that take things away from the Christian scriptures. And I think Jude is saying, don't do that. Stick with the main, keep the main thing the main thing. You know better. In fact, let me put it this way you as a New Testament Christian, you have all this. Do you know how much Israel had? They had oral tradition. These are the first five books are the first five books of Moses. They didn't even have that, and yet they were expected to know. So you are much more without excuse. And the more that you know of God, the more that is expected of you. Let your faith abound. Uh, the more that you have seen God do in your life, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the more He expects of you. Simple as that. Um, he expects you to obey, to trust Him, to let your faith abound. Um, and, and if you do, you'll get to see some great things. Let me, let me finish the story here. Um, I have to remember where it's at. I think it's in Joshua. Judges, maybe. Joshua. So the two guys that give the good report, and this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's such a wonderful reminder. It's in Joshua 14. Remember, the ones that didn't believe, it says that they're destroyed. They don't get to enter the promised land. Moses himself didn't get to enter because he disobeyed God. But when they cross over Jordan into the promised land, we still have Joshua and Caleb. And uh, I want to remind you that Joshua is a very special person in salvation history. In fact, what, what you will find is you can read Joshua in Revelation Side by side, they make a good comparison. Joshua, in fact, he has the very same name as Jesus. Did y'all know that? Yeshua, Yehoshua, depending on how you want to say it. Um, but he, he becomes a figure type. And he was always the closest to Moses, and he was always the closest to the tabernacle. But this guy, Caleb, he sort of emerges out of the text from nowhere. And so here he shows up in Joshua chapter 14. And we read that <laughs> it says that Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb talking. Just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Now look, he's an old man here. (laughs) This is is an 85-year-old man talking. And he's saying... I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as, the, as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you have heard on that day how the Anakim were there uh, with great and fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He got the same attitude at 85 years old that he had when he was 40. And by the way... Even though, did you notice that the faithless attitude of the congregation of Israel, it affected Caleb. It put his life on pause for 40 years. But he's still as strong this day as he was then. And so I believe that God does indeed reward those that follow him even in the face of God judging a culture, which is what this is about. It's an entire culture being judged, And let me just tell you this, church people. If we follow God wholly like Caleb, like Joshua, and America doesn't, and God judges America, we can be like Caleb and we can still be blessed, even though the effects are on the whole culture. Or, as was the case in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Lot got rescued. Now, whether you want to have a conversation about whether he was righteous or not, we can do that another time. The Bible refers to him as righteous. To me, he looked like an idiot. And, and the Bible says that <clears throat> he vexed his righteous spirit because of who he hung out with. But he was saved from the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so if we follow God, and this is not, this is not some prosperity message, and I'm not saying that bad things never happen, but blessings can come, in the face of destruction to those that follow God. Now let me give you a few of the lessons in in shorthand here. The more that you know of God, the more that is expected of you. And you know what that should encourage you to do? Know more of God. Not try to know less, but to seek Him all the more. Number two, all this murmuring and complaining, which is what Jude's talking about, the complainers, the unbelievers, the faithless, they're the ones that Jesus destroyed after he delivered them. Somebody started it. Let me just use this as an opportunity to remind you, don't start it. And if somebody next to you starts it, in other words, somebody comes up to you and says, I just don't like the way things are going at this church, at this job, in our family, whatever it is, let's don't take that route. How about you encourage them to change their attitude in a godly way? Now, you can do what I do. You can say, well, why don't you shut up? We're tired of hearing it. That don't work as well. <laughs> but for pity's sake, encourage them not to start it. And if they do start it, let, let's be honest here. A bitter spirit spreads like a wildfire on a windy day, doesn't it? If, if I get real upset and I come over and start griping and carrying That bitterness can seep into your spirit, and next thing you know, you're spreading it. It takes a real strong character and somebody that's willing to say, I can't carry that around. I'm taking that to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to get rid of it right now. It takes somebody that strong, somebody that trusts in the Lord, to stop that sort of thing. But don't carry a bitter spirit. It ain't no fun anyway. That bitter feeling, discontent, nobody likes that. Don't do it. All right. What am I on? Number three here. It says number four in my notes. I think, you don't always get a second chance. When Israel was at Kadesh Barnea, it was time to jump. And they were too scared to do it. And you know what God said? Forget it then. Now, look, I don't have anything in front of me right now that I know of. But let me just make you aware that in your life, there are these moments where there's no turning back. Where if you know that the Lord has led you to it... If it's the scariest thing you've ever done, do it. Do it. If our church gets to a point where we have to do something that doesn't seem to make sense on paper or like a bank statement, but God's called us to do it, spend every penny if you have to. Do what God has called you to do. Now next week I'm going to give you all some kind of big proposal to spend all our money, right? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going. To. But, but you get the idea. If God called us to, we would do it. All right, number, number five in my notes here. God is just in his punishment of wickedness. Now, look, I'm talking about saved people here. When the church, and by the way, my Bible says that judgment will begin in the house of God. We see Israel, even though they're saved in this Old Testament uh, scenario, they're judged for their lack of faith. Now, some of that was a loss. They didn't get the promised land. They did not get to experience, I'm going to call it the fat life, the victory life. They could have went in there. They could have been the generation that said, we defeated the mighty people that, that, that conquered all of Canaan land. They had the best land. We followed God in there. We did." What we... But they didn't get to do that. You know what their legacy is? They died in the wilderness. They were told they couldn't go. And uh, that was their punishment. God's just. And let me just say this. The Christian is punished by God. Now look, you don't experience judgment for your sins. Your sins are judged on Christ, but you are chastised for your disobedience. And the whole point is to make you more like Jesus. So if you step out of line in life in any such way, if you're doing something immoral, if you're stealing from your job, if you are doing something immoral on your computer, if you are doing something behind your wife's back, You're about to get a spanking. And it ain't like Daddy giving you a spanking when God gives you a spanking. God is serious when it comes to uh, discipline in the Christian life. And He is just in doing it. And we have no right to complain when we experience it. If you depart from the goodness of God, guess what? You deserve it. And it's for your good. I don't spank my kids because I like spanking them. I do it for their good. And God is better than I have ever been. I want to remind you that we have, as we can be punished in this life, we have rewards in this life for following God. But we also have rewards in the life to come. Now look, I don't know what they are. Uh, I don't know exactly how that works. I, I've read some, in fact, I'll read you a few of them. In Ephesians it says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free, so regardless. Uh, I look at that and I say, well, if you do good in the, in the Lord's eyes, then you will receive good. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12-15 says, Of the Christian here, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a ward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Isn't that interesting? Christians, when we do anything in this life, it's either wood, hay, stubble, or it's gold, silver, and precious stones. The precious stones, the gold, the silver, they can stand the fire. They will remain. There is a reward. But Christian, if your works are wood, hay, and stubble... They're going to burn up. They're going to be done away with. But did you notice what it said? It said, though he himself will be saved. So the Christian doesn't lose their salvation, but they do lose some kind of reward. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, and I hope you all know this one, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. It's not works salvation. It's rewards works (laughs) or works rewards. And what we do, it affects other people. You know, what I do in my family, make no mistake that it affects my wife and it affects my children. And sometimes the decisions that we make affect my children's children who are far from being born if the Lord tarries. And so we need to, and I think that's what Jude's saying here, don't depart from the faith. Contend for the faith. Take this stuff seriously. It's so easy to glibly come into church and sit down. By the way, it's a good thing to do. But the Christian life is more than just soaking up some encouraging messages from the Bible. It's about living it out. And By the way, disobedience or faithlessness is sin. Worry is is sin. I'm guilty too. I worry sometimes. And when I do, it's a sin. Next time I feel myself worry and next time you feel yourself worry, we should recognize I'm sinning right now and I need to turn away from my worry. I need to repent and actively trust God. And Jude here is making the point that we are to actively trust God. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, I pray that You would find in us hearts that are thankful. And Lord, that as we continue to count our blessings, and that we look at life through a lens where we see you as sovereign and working towards the end of all things when the Lord Jesus will return, when salvation history reaches its pinnacle. And Lord, when you call us all home to you, um, Lord, that you would find us as faithful as those who our works are not compared to wood, hay, and stubble, but rather silver and gold and precious stones. Lord, we pray that you would build up in us a people whose faith is strong, who will trust you in all things, no matter how tough things get. And Lord, we don't beg for trials to increase our patience, but we know that trials come. And when they do, we ask that you, by your power, through your spirit, would help us to fix our eyes on you. That as we walk through this life and we live out our own life, that it would be a life of walking in Canaan land. Though it might be a life of warfare, that it would be a life of victory. It would be one where we inherit the good things that were prepared before us. And uh, Lord, that we would walk in your ways in all things. We pray, God, that as families, uh, we would live our lives in a way that we are an example to the younger generation. And that we would lead them in righteousness. And that like Israel was commanded to, we would tell them about the good things that you've done for us in our own lives. Do watch over us, Lord, and keep us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.